Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. Today I sit down with a real Renaissance man chasing the American dream. Andy Ross is a country music star, a former TV host, and the CEO of a publicly traded company. If that sounds like an eclectic mix, which it certainly is, you're soon going to find out that there's a passion for the outdoors that serves as the common denominator. Andy grew up in a small town in Kansas before he went on to found Ross Archery became the host of Maximum Archery on the Outdoor Channel, released that hit song, American Rebel, and founded American Rebel Holdings, which is now publicly traded on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange. Andy's latest song is called All American Heart. This show is brought to you by my new book, What Should I Do With My Money, published by McGraw-Hill. It is now available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook wherever books are sold. Just as this show was based on achieving wealth in its original meaning, a state of well-being, so will my new book help you achieve wealth in times of chaos. Now, here's Andy Ross. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Kadena Podcast. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here today. Yeah, happy to have this conversation. I always like to meet people that have such a, you know, eclectic background. And uh, for yourself, where did it start? I mean, were you entrepreneurial minded or did you just want to be a rock star? You know, it, it uh, entre- you know, I always probably had a, you know, a desire to chase the American dream. I didn't know necessarily that meant entrepreneur with the time. Because, you know, even as a kid, I was trying to figure out, you know, how to have the better lemonade stand and, uh, you know, retrieve golf balls out of the pond and take them back to, the, <laughs> you know, to the pro shop for money. And, you know, I was always trying to figure out a way to make some money um, other than just getting a job. Right. I mean, somehow I would try to figure out how to make a nickel, but never really dawned on me, you know, to go down as a kid and just apply for a job. But I was making money at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I had, I had a company, uh, well, let's start with this. I had a passion, uh, hunting growing up. And okay. when I started hunting, I, I grew up in Southeast Kansas, little town called Chanute, Kansas. And me and my friends like to, you know, we were mainly hunting with shotguns, doing, you know, quail hunting, pheasant hunting, turkey hunting, duck hunting, um, you know, those, those types of, uh, you know, of uplands, upland birds and waterfowl. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I went to school you know, in a, in a time where, you know, you could have your shotguns hanging in the back of your pickup truck and park in the school parking lot, you know, no one thought anything of it. (laughs) And we would even go hunting before school. I mean, we would go like duck hunting before school, get to school 10 minutes late, you know, and the principal would be like, guys, you know, try to move it along a little early tomorrow. I know duck season open, but you know, Hey, how'd you do, you know, pretty relaxed, but um, went from that and developed a big passion for bow hunting. Once I started bow hunting, you know, I never looked back. I just really developed a passion for bow hunting. And then almost as a hobby, I started manufacturing bows, not necessarily intending or thinking that that would, you know, be a big business or a springboard into other opportunities. Um, I just really had a passion for, for archery. Yeah. And as this bow company started to evolve a couple of years and really started to kind of get some legs and start going from a hobby business to a business, 
it you know one it dawned on me that you know the the my competitors the bigger bow companies out there they were all sponsoring or had some type of tv program on the outdoor channel okay. uh, bow hunting tv was becoming very popular with the outdoor channel and great great shows like ralph and vicky's archer's choice and and uh when, you know, michael waddell and the drury brothers and these what these about things. was this that, that that was really starting to kind of come to fruition on tv like what time frame uh let's say you know when i was when i was really getting into it had been you know starting like 2003 2004 2005 kind of in that area okay. um really becoming popular and the equipment was getting better and digital cameras were you know at least dvd tape or you didn't have the cameras with the big vcrs you had smaller equipment to have a cameraman be in the woods with you and and okay. uh you know it just became possible i mean the outdoor channel let people uh who could film and produce a quality tv show gave them a platform to air that air those tv shows and they became personalities too um getting a little off track but you know the popularity of like nascar was really strong back then mm -hmm. and you know bow hunter guys like waddell you know they were hanging out with the nascar drivers and country music and the was 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 is was and is and always will be hopefully popular and uh you know the country the country artists watching the shows and guesting on the shows you know why a country artist that can place you know arenas all over the country is guest guest starring on a a little hunting show uh because <laughs> they love hunting but yeah. a lot of things made it popular once once everybody started running with the nascar drivers and the nashville artists and these types of things it yeah. really elevated too so so i wanted to get one of these guys or gals to shoot my bow on their show. Yeah. You know, the Drury Brothers, the Primos guys. I wanted, you know, Hunter Specialties. I wanted someone to shoot my bow on TV. But since I was fairly new and they all had contracts with the established companies like Bowtech and Hoyt and Matthews, um, mm. you know, I couldn't get them to do it. They just, it just, it, you know, I was too small, company was too new, and the, the bigger companies, you know, be like, it'd be like if you golf, I don't golf, but it's a good reference. It'd be like, you know, you come out with a new golf club and you're trying to get someone to use your golf clubs that's endorsed by Ping or, or yeah. Titleist or, you know, it's like, it's like, how do you do that? Right? Yeah. How do you break so, into that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I uh, had a friend that knew a guy named Mike Osborne who had done some part-time filming for the Drury Brothers. Okay. And I decided I was going to take him, uh, see if he'd go with me on four or five hunts film my hunts and then I would just make a DVD um, and put it in the box and then when we did trade shows like uh, the arch you know the archery trade shows um, I would have a DVD to hand out you know they were a buck you know yeah. once you film them and edit them uh, a DVD to hand out to people and so on and that was as close as I could get to having my bow on TV well yeah. Little did I know, four months later, the Outdoor Channel got a hold of the DVD and called me up and said, how would you like to do a show? Wow. Um, so was that like the tipping point? The, huh? Was that like the tipping point? Like that was the big break? Tip, tipping point number one. It, it, yeah. it rolled from there. The American dream was alive and well from there. Um, so now I have my own TV show, mm -hmm. which I did not really see coming. Yeah. And, do you mind and, if uh, I if I could jump in there? So sure. do you know like how Outdoor Channel actually got that DVD? Did you ever go back and 
kind of see where that came from? No, it not really because it, it just didn't surprise me. Um, you know, once they said they saw the DVD, it didn't really surprise me because we were all at the same trade shows. I mean, the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's mm-hmm. Channel, they all had booths and representatives at the Archery Trade Association show, Great American Outdoor Show, Iowa Deer Classic, Dixie Deer Classic, Wisconsin Deer and Turkey Expo. I mean, it, it, it's not a big group of, you know, yeah. in comparison to the automotive industry or something. It's, Correct, yeah. It's that, yeah, and, you know, somebody who had a show who, you know, started yeah. to take an interest in our bow or whatever, got a DVD and showed it to an editor. Or, I, I didn't even ask, but now that you, now I'm curious because you brought it up <laughs> too long ago, I'll probably never get the answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, was it, was that like one trade show you did? Cause you hear about stories like this, like, Oh, I was going to two trade shows a week for two years. And then finally somebody saw it. Was it like that? Or was it the first one out? They just happened to be there and they, they caught it. Well, no, I mean it took it took four four to six months before this happened. It was approximately okay. four months, and okay. we were going to a lot of trade shows. Some big, like the the uh, Great American Outdoor Show, um, or the Archery Trade Association. Some some small regional, like the Iowa. I mean, it's a big show, the Iowa Deer Classic, but it you know it draws from a four state area primarily. Yeah. So some, some bigger than others. Um, In, so what it, were... it did. Right. So the other thing we did is we had a TV in the booth okay. with the bow. And when I put my DVD running in a loop on that TV, everybody walking by just assumed that that was a TV show, you know, uh, clips from a TV show. So yeah. we kind of got, got some street credit for like having a TV. I mean, no one even knew who I was, but because my hunt was playing behind us over my shoulder and we were giving out DVDs, they were asking me to sign them. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like I'm not even on TV, but I'll sign it. Yeah. So we just we just kind of you know ran like like you know we were we were part of the of the of the um, you know the group. Yeah. And, uh, then we became part of the group. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like you fake it till you make it mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. 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 Well, it really it really was a little like that. I mean, we didn't go in there going, you know, we're the smallest bow company, and I mean, we went in there and. I got, you know, fairly good sized booths and put up a display as if, you know, people should have seen us and known who we were for years. I mean, we went in there strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were you doing at, at the time? Like, I know you're you're out there hunting, obviously, you make this little DVD, like at the same time, are you working a day job to pay the bills? Or like, what's life like at that point? Yeah, I, I, had, an, I had another uh, project I was involved in called Digital Ally. And okay. I, was, I was actually... Uh, there more my full-time uh position but that that really started changing quick mm-hmm. uh once the tv show came out and we had to go film the show um i mean we went from like doing a few hundred bows a year to doing like 2200 bows a year to doing like twelve thousand a year wow. And, wow. and up there i mean it went once once we started running with that crowd and being on tv um TV did exactly what I thought it would do, why I wanted to get one of the big personalities to shoot my bow. Did not know I would become, I won't say one of the you know biggest personalities, but a personality on outdoor TV. Um, and certainly was in the, you know, for years, the show was in there with the best shows, uh, you know, available. Yeah. Um, and was we, this, we so 
if if I could just kind of hit rewind for a quick second. So you say you're from a small town in Kansas. You know, I'm yep. I'm from Jersey where you grow up, you're playing, you know, baseball, football and the like, and then thinking about going to college. Were you like an outlier amongst your friends or was everybody saying, hey, I want to get into fishing or hunting and try and, you know, make this thing blow up? Like what was kind of the, the normal track, I guess, for you and your pals like growing up? OK, so let me. um yeah, let me kind of clarify that. I was kind of kind of moving the story down the road pretty fast. But so I had already moved at this point to Kansas City. Okay. And by the time I started making bows, I was already, you know, as a as a hobby and then turned into a business. I was already like 30. Okay. So okay gotcha. I'd already moved out uh, up to Kansas City. I'd gotten married. Um, the, 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 the girl I married. Uh, his family was from Wisconsin. They loved to hunt. I loved to hunt. But the only difference was they were all archery. They actually, they actually took me on my first hunt, and they're they're like, uh, "Where's your bow?" <laughs> I, <laughs> ran, I ran, I ran to a store in uh, in uh, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, called Dutchess, and bought a bow like three days before we left for the hunt. <laughs> And, no idea uh, how to use it <laughs> and, yeah and they were we were in their backyard they lived out out in the country with a little bit of land and for three days they were getting me getting me ready yeah and, uh, okay. and i caught on quick you know hmm. i caught on quick and a couple of years later i actually started making bows and a couple of years you know four or five months later uh well a couple of years later we started making bows a couple of years later you know, I wanted to get it on TV and then, you know, you, you know, the story from there. Yeah. Um, and was it a thing where like you just fell in love with, with archery and with bows or was it something like, you know, you're using bows every day and it's like, man, I just can't stand this one aspect. Like if I could just fix this one part of the bow, then I'll have, you know, my own type of bow that I think people are going to love. What was it? Was it kind of fixing a problem that needed to be fixed or did you just kind of build on something that you fell in love with? Um, a little bit of all, you know, a little bit, yeah. a little bit of both. The, uh, the Matthews bow was very popular, but it had a really fat grip mm -hmm. and the company was out of Wisconsin. And the reason it had a really fat grip is so it, it insulated your hand from the metal of the bow, the wooden okay. grip. But it also, in my opinion, and, and many others, it, it, it set you up for more torque because your hand, you know, is holding a bigger surface area. And the Hoyt bow had a real, real thin, thin, thin grip. I mean, it, it just had like wood little plates on each side, yeah. um, but they had a whole different setup. So my first thought was, well, I wish I had a Matthews bow with a Hoyt grip. Okay. And then I wish it had this and did that. And if it was up to me, I'd do it this, you know? So it was just a couple of things. I, I certainly was not a bow engineered genius and and just out engineered and overnight my competition that's that's not what happened we made a good product um in my opinion we made it we made a, a, a great product it certainly would stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with 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 the hoyt the matthews the bow and the you know the bowtech mm -hmm. and i really think what happened was i i out marketed um well i mark I, I marketed well enough to get a piece of their business i didn't i'm not going to say i out marketed them that sounds like um, you know, I built a company and dwarfed them. That's not what happened. I became, I became one of the, the, the bows in that, you know, I was in the game. Yeah. And, gotcha. But I had, I had the idea and I was told I couldn't do it, but I always, when I'd go elk hunting, 
deer hunting, you know, and the, you know, the big antlers, right? Mm -hmm. I, I always referred to it as bone. You know, it's like, look at the bone on top of that. You know, yeah. I, I just did for whatever reason. So I came up with this slogan, own more bone with Ross Archery. And I had a logo and then we made shirts and hats and I called it Boneware. We had a store, you know, Boneware store on the website. And uh, I remember my first trade show showing the bow. You know, I mean, I had some people say, you, you know, you can't say that. You know, that that's, that's the why. What, what, you know, well, I, you know, some people might take that the wrong way. And I'm like, well, you're an idiot. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's no more bone with Ross Archery and it's Boneware. And, and in the beginning, I sold more hats and I did more revenue off hats, stick, uh, shirts and stickers <laughs> than I did bows. People, That's people crazy. Loved, the kids, they love the bone where it was like someone finally did something cool in yeah. this industry. And I always say they said, you know, I've been interviewed many times and they, you know, back in the day of in the bow business. And they said, how did you know that the market was ready for a new bow? And I said, the market wasn't ready for a new bow. The kids were ready for a new sticker for their truck. You know, <laughs> everybody had the Matthew sticker. Yep. The kid wanted to put own more bone with Ross Archery sticker in his truck. <laughs> and then he decided to wear the hat and shoot the bow, I guess. I mean, they just they just fell in love with the slogan. That is so uh, cool. And now if you go to a trade show, you know, it wasn't two or three years after that. You, you know, every third booth, you know, was was saying something about you know bone and and instead of antler i mean it changed yeah. the vocabulary of the of, of uh what was going on there but uh, did you have any point because i mean now you're really becoming an entrepreneur at that stage and i feel like you know you have those moments where you get some hopes and then you have other days where it's like i'm just beating my head against the wall here and i i don't know if it's going to catch did you yeah. ever have kind of that that moment where you're like, maybe I just got to move on to something else? Or did you just kind of keep like hitting Lucky Street and working your way up? I honestly, you know, I, I, I've had so many blessings in my life. I, I, have had, I have turned one thing accidentally into something else, accidentally into something else, and accidentally into something else. And all I know that I, you know, I, I, I'm chasing the American dream. I got my eyes open for opportunity. Uh, I don't mind working hard. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, you know, I need a Rolex and a yacht and a, and, mm -hmm. you know, a Mercedes kind of guy. So I live my life in t-shirts and blue jeans and, and, uh, um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily chasing money. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you have to make money to make the thing work, Yeah. but, I'm not, I'm not, that's not my drive. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I, only thing I can, you know, the only thing I come back and you probably hear me say it 10 times in this interview, I mean, it's, uh, you know, just been blessed, just been blessed to have one thing turn into a, to, to, to another opportunity. Yeah. When you started this presentation, when you started the show, you talked about all these many things I do, right. Mm -hmm. To me, I just did one thing. You know, and it just turned into something else, but I never changed throughout the process. Yeah. So I'm still just doing the same thing I've always done. You know, I might have to change my hat, yeah. um, you know, or grab a different card, if you will. But the guy that's doing, you know, running the CEO of a publicly traded company 
is no different than the guy that was doing the bow hunting show and the guy that hits the stage, you know, Saturday night to play a concert. I'm just yeah. running around being the same person. So um, what was you know, like I'm, going back then, like if you can take us to kind of those early years, your twenties or now you're, you're 30 and you're doing the trade shows. Like what was the goal? I, I know you say money wasn't the driver. You just need enough to keep this thing going. But did you want to have the biggest company, the best company? Did you just want to have fun and, and meet people that you like? Like what, what was that kind of vision that you had? The, the goal with the bow company was to be in the business and be able to go on as many hunts as possible. And it, you know, at the time I wanted to do the, the, uh, you know, the grand slam, which is, you know, all the different game species you can hunt. Uh, Chuck Adams has done it. Very few people have done it. I mean, I was just, I was just, I just wanted to go hunting. And if I could Got be it. in a business that was in the hunting business and my hunts could be basically free or tax write-offs <laughs> and I could, and I could talk hunting all day and I could go to, you know, hunting events and hunting camps and hunting trade shows. And, you know, I was, I was, I was living the life that millions and millions and millions of people save up to do on their vacation. And yeah. I was living that life every day. That's and that's, awesome. that's that, awesome. that was, that was my drive is like, how can I be doing this every day? How can I wear, you know, camo yeah. 30 weeks a year, and you know, go to hunting trade shows these other weeks and talk hunting and be hunting. And uh, you know, it it do you that yeah, was, I, got a that was, I never really thought about um, I mean, I thought about paying my bills and I thought about paying for aluminum, but yeah. I never really thought I did think, you know, about buying land and you know, if if this was real successful, I would buy, you know, where I'd buy property and and uh, you know, maybe manage it for deer hunting and you know i mean i had some go but it, there was it was all hunting it was all just that's all i wanted to do it's yeah. like if you love cars and you love cars and you love cars and somehow you find yourself being a, a nascar driver mm -hmm. and you just get to race cars and talk cars and talk motors and tires and and you know fuel injection systems 24 7 yeah know? that's so that's the question i had on that so anything any sort of sport like that where you're like man if i could live out what is other people's vacation you know you mentioned yeah. the golf analogy before you know i would love to go play golf at the nicest courses in the world and yeah. get paid or do it for free but you think to get there i mean you have to be a very rare talent and you got to work your tail off or even if yeah. like you said you, you love nascar well to go do that every weekend and be jeff gordon you got to be one yeah. of a kind is it yeah. like that with hunting like did you have to well, be a great hunter that was well yes you had to be a good hunter but okay you didn't have that that was the unique difference i've i've told this a handful of times um the the unique difference was you got to be one of the best golfers i mean there's a reason and you know if you want to be a quarterback in the nfl if you think about it there's 32 teams so there's 32 starting quarterbacks there's really 20 good ones and there's only probably 15 that could actually win the Super Bowl. You know, there's mm -hmm. only a handful of Pat Mahomes and and uh, you know Joe Burrows and yep, you know those types. Of, there's only a handful of really franchise quarterbacks. So sure. obviously, if there were more of them, every team would have two. Yeah, but but they're they're, they're far and few between. If you're going to be a golfer and you're going to be on that tour, 
and you're going to compete with Tiger Woods, I mean, you got to be one of the best of the best of the best. I never thought of myself, you know, because ever, everybody started saying, well, you know, you guys are pro hunters. Well, why am I, I'm a pro hunter because I'm on TV. I'm a personality is why I'm on TV, not because I'm a pro hunter. In fact, my cameraman, Mike Osborne, in my opinion, is a better hunter than me. <laughs> a lot of the stuff and the successes that I had uh, to a, to at least a medium degree, every hunt, and to a large degree, a lot of my hunts, the success I had was because of Mike. You know, Mike Mike was running camera and, you know, sometimes hanging behind me calling elk. And, yeah. you know, I'm in the path of where the elk's going to come to the call or, or he might even say, you know what, let's let's do, you know, he would game plan, you know, almost every move. And we got to the point, because we did it for 10 years, you know, we got to the point where I could almost just look at him, you know, and, and know, and he could make some facial expression or eye movement, and I would know what he's trying to tell me, and or yeah. I could do the same to him, and he would, he would oh, okay, Andy's going to do, you know, we just got real good at communication. Yeah. But to answer your question, what you had to be able to do in the, in the hunting world is you had to be a, a you know, a really good hunter because mm -hmm. um, you, you got to get the job done, but you needed to have a, a, you know, a personality, something different about your show, um, which led to my other, you know, things that I've gravitated and graduated to. And, and you needed to have kind of a hook, you know, it's like my, my bow was a great bow, but the own more bone with Ross archery is kind of what kicked it into gear. So, no, you could be you could be a a good hunter, a, a real good hunter, not not the best in the world, like the best golfers are on tour, the best football players play on Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, but if you had a personality and you had a show and you had an editor and a, a good footage and a, an eye for to get B roll and get it edited and and box it up into a package and put a brand on it, uh, a lot of it was marketing. Yeah. Uh, when I say that, I don't want to take away from anybody like like Ralph and Vicky or Wydell or, or or Lee and Tiffany or any of them and, and not say that they're not some of the best hunters in the world. Um, I'm just saying you can get the job done if you can if you can uh, be a, a you know a really good hunter and you've got the other gotcha. Yeah, I guess it's it's almost like uh, you know, I love watching these cooking shows with like Guy Fieri or Emerald or yeah. You know, some of them, it's like maybe they're not the best cook, but they they just make a great show at the same time. Yeah, you know, that, there you go. like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's, I mean, that's it's just such a great model because it's like you got you're, you're hosting the TV show, you're now you're getting a big audience, big customer base for the bow, and you have this whole kind of merchandise with the the you know fan gear yep. that you come up with. So where did you go from there? Like this was obviously kind of the beginning. Well, so. What made my show unique really is what landed me to the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when I, we were doing the show called, it was called Maximum Archery for about four years, four and a half years. And I told my cameraman, I said, Mike, with these X games that are coming out, these skateboards and what kids are doing with bicycles and motocross and the video games are getting really cool. And man, I mean, kids got a lot of exciting opportunity, you know, a lot of exciting options. To, yeah. to spend the time doing you know we got me sitting up in a tree going hey it's tuesday winds out of the west we're in kansas 
you know, this sucks. Yeah. We got we to gotta pick this up. Yeah, that kid's doing, you know, triple backflips on, yeah, on the yeah, half pipe. <laughs> yeah. So we decided, um, I had this idea, and we renamed the show from Maximum Archery to Maximum Archery World Tour. Okay. And we took every date of my hunt, you know, the whole, the whole schedule for the year. You know, we were doing... Mm-hmm. 23 episodes so we're on a lot of hunts yep uh, so we would take the dates the species of what i was hunting and the location and we put it across the back of a t-shirt like an old van halen concert shirt or journey concert shirt and we okay. started treating we were on tour we weren't on a music tour but we were on a road tour of filming this show and we treated it like a rock tour and this was kind of like, okay, the own more bone with Ross Archery thing was really cool. This became really cool. And we started filming the travel of the show and not just the hunt, but, you know, the problems in the airport, the problems with customs, getting from here to here, just getting from New Mexico to Colorado, stopping, doing laundry in some town you never heard of and you know i mean we'd go on three four five hunts sometimes in a row and not go home yeah so we're out on the road we're living a road life yes and that's like a reality tv show almost before there were reality tv shows yeah and we were going through this old small town in colorado kind of looked like an old maybe gold mining town that had been kept up and it was but it was it was really small and and uh quite quite unique looking and 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 I wanted to see it. We were driving by and I saw this uh, this bar or pub, this corner house looking thing on the corner. And it said, uh, uh, local beer, honey blonde on tap. And I'm like, how do we pass that up? I mean, you don't pass that up, honey blonde on tap, local beer. And uh, Mike said, he said, hey, uh, Brad was driving. He said, turn back around. You do that again. I'm going to film it. And next thing I know, we're in we're in this old time bar playing darts, filming it. Yeah. And we so we started filming more and more road life, and the 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 hunting show went from three segments of hunting to two segments of life on the road and one segment of hunting, which meant we were doing fun, crazy things, almost getting in trouble all the time. um some things you know we did have to turn the camera off for but we would push the envelope and then the hunting was was more impactful because you didn't it wasn't boring because it all went down in you know six minutes instead of 25 minutes so we didn't have to like a bunch of filler b-roll as much we could get to the point you know I, i coined the phrase pick and stick so the you know the audience wanted to see us get to picking and sticking and getting up there and hunting and you know, the encounter and the, and the fight to strike the arrow. And, you know, they didn't really want to watch us eat breakfast at the, in the, in the lodge and, you know, killed three minutes of, of time talking about nothing, you yeah. know? So, so we had less time to fill with the impactful part of the show, which was the hut. So I decided, you know what, it's maximum archery world tour. Um, I can play some music, right. I can play a little bit and, and I th- thought I could write. And so why don't I create some hunting songs? So we've got our own music. It's Maximum Archery World Tour. Shouldn't we have our own theme songs for the intro and the exits and the bumpers in and out of the commercials? So I wrote Blood Trail on a Whitetail, Hunt Me Down, Buck of a Lifetime, 
uh, support your local wildlife, you know, gotta go hunting blues. And I wrote these songs and recorded them and used them on the show. Huh. Well, and are you next, actually, you know, singing and, and playing the music or you're just yeah. writing lyrics? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wrote the song and I'm doing the vocal and I did a guitar pass in the studio and other musicians, you know, studio musicians had to come in and do parts. I'm not a drummer, you know, yeah. I'm not a piano player. So, you know, we had to fill it in and I'm the, I'm the novelist. Again, I'm the novelist in the room. I'm not, I'm not the best musician in the room by far in the, in the recording studio, but I wasn't the best hunter, you know, either. Right. I mean, it was, it was like they were catchy yeah. and it fit our brand of maximum archery world tour. And one day I'm at the Iowa deer classic iTunes had barely come out. Smartphones had come out. Uh, you know, they used to have the little square iPods before they, you could put music actually on your phone. And I'm signing DVDs and posters. There's a line and these kids in the middle of the line are holding up their phones, playing my song on their phone is playing. And they finally got up to me and I said, how did you get my song, my music on your phone? And they thought I was mad at them. And I said, I am not, I am flattered. I just want to know how you did it. And they said, well, we couldn't find it on the iTunes. So we took it off your website. And uh, I said, okay, great. You know, and then as soon as I got a break, I called Doug Growl, who was managing and producing the Davison brothers who helped me make my music and helped me record it. And I said, uh, he had worked with Travis Tritt, developed Travis Tritt, Little Texas, did the blue collar comedy tour. And uh, I called him up and I said, hey, apparently these, these kids would buy my music if it was on iTunes. And uh, he said, well, the way iTunes works is you actually have to put up an album. You can't just put up a song. And if they'll buy that, they'll buy some real music. Why don't you come to Nash back to Nashville and let's make a record. So <laughs> now I'm making a record. That's awesome. And now the, so that the guy, I, I didn't catch the name, but the, the producer, you, just you saying, Hey, I got these kids out here. Like they like the music I'm coming up with. That was enough to convince him of like, all right, come on out. Let's make a record. He was convinced that, the music business was going to go digital because of iTunes, file sharing, like Napster, uh, the things that were going on. He knew that was the future of the music, and he knew I had an audience. He knew mm -hmm. I had a fan base that watched the show. So the worst case, we the worst thing we could do is sell a little bit of music. Yeah, it wasn't an all or nothing deal, right? Yeah, we were going to sell enough to, to, to make to, it worth the time to break yeah. even on the deal, right? Sure. So. So I came to town and then that's when he put me with writers like Porter Howe from Little Texas that wrote God Bless Texas. Amy's back in Austin, Kick a Little, What Might Have Been, with Mark Sutton, with uh, Jim McElroy, Doug Cahan, and, I, and, and the Davison brothers. Uh, I wrote with Lee Bryce. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of a sudden now, and these guys wanted to write with me because they watched my show. Yeah. So they were country guys, right? Like a mutual but, admiration, yeah. Yeah, so they're like, yeah, we'll write with him. Well, what do we got to lose? That so, is so uh, cool. Yeah, we 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 made a record and uh, called "You Ain't Seen Crazy Yet," followed up by "Cold Dead Hand." The third album was called "Time to Fight," and I'm recording the fourth album right now called "Lucky to Be Alive." We already released a single off of it, "All American Heart," and I have a song coming out on Flag Day called "I Stand for You," which is June 14th. That's so awesome. that's how I got to the music business, and then. 
we were playing so much music that I had to choose between keep, keep continuing to do the show or playing music. Mm-hmm. And after 10 years of doing the show, we decided that, you know, I was already living in Nashville. Now I'd moved yeah. from Kansas City to Nashville. And um, I just decided that I'd move on to that opportunity. Yeah. And did somebody kind of like uh, carry the show forward or was it you no. just kind of called it a day and, and wrapped everything up? It was, it was done. The show was, the show was definitely branded, you know, in me. So yeah. it just, it I imagine just, it, was that bittersweet? Was that like, you know, having to kind of say goodbye to people you'd I best been working with, you know, for 10 years there? It, it, it wasn't. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, about two, excuse me, about two years before we quit the show or stopped doing the show, my main partner in crime, Mike Osborne, I called him my main man, Mike, on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to leave the show. He was just, his kids were getting to an age where he was just missing too much opportunity. And he probably stuck around a couple years longer than, than maybe, uh, maybe he should have. I mean, he yeah. really hung in there as long as he could, but you know, you start, you know, you start missing things. Now, I don't know how women feel and I don't know how all guys feel. I just know how I feel. So yeah. what I'm saying is just my opinion. But, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't, if you miss some events of your two-year-old, um, you know, that's not the same, at least to me, as missing, you know, your son's first, you know, prom or coordination, high school dance. And, you know, you start missing things as they start becoming, older children or young adults and you start missing things in that era um mm-hmm. really starts pulling on you yeah and and i knew what he was going through because i was going through the same thing yeah um, i wanted to ask you that like you you mentioned you know you were married your wife yeah. from wisconsin did you guys had kids we, we had four children together we were married uh 13 years uh we have four children together and yeah. uh it's all uh Got it. Now, did they come on the road with you at all, or were you away for, you know, as you're doing all that stuff? No, they didn't. They, uh, they did not. My, uh, you know, I hunted a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, the popularity of the show was I'm out there. I mean, I'm hunting grizzly bears with a bow. I'm hunting Cape <laughs> buffaloes of the bow. I'm hunting, Jeez. you know, coastal Jeez. brown bear and mountain goats. And, you yeah. know, we, we were, we were, we were doing some wild things feral bullfighting bulls in Mexico. Wow. Um, you know, so what they, they weren't places you could you would take, you know, yeah, we weren't kids, living yeah. the life of luxury. We were living on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And and so Mike had left a couple of years ago. Um, it wasn't the same. I was really getting tired of it. Um and it, it just wasn't a hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. really wasn't. I was really spent um on it. Yeah. And now when you go into the music business, is it kind of more of the same where you're just on the road? Like now you're doing, you know, shows and, and you know, PR for new albums and, and the like? Well, you're on the road playing, but playing is, a, you know, is an amazing uh, thing to get to do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, instead of going to a party, you are the party. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I travel on a tour bus, which is pretty luxury. And, you know, <laughs> I'd say so. Event. And, uh, you know, we're only out a couple of days a week we, you know, we're not on, you know, I mean, I was in, I was in the bush in Africa and Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Botswana, you know, living on the ground. I mean, we were there for, for a couple of months, I mean, at a time, 
leaving, you know, leaving Thursday night and coming home Sunday is not a big deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So, so it's different, but you know, my responsibilities now from the music too, we've grown right now. We, you know, um, you know, to, to continue the, the story. So I had a song out in 2015 um, called American Rebel mm -hmm. and it went viral as a patriotic anthem. We decided to build a brand around it. I mean, I'd, I'd built bows and manufactured things and sourced things and, and, you know, knew how to make a product and sales channels and supply chains. And I knew how it all worked. So we decided to build a brand around this song called American Rebel because it went viral. It landed me on counting cars with Danny where he built me the second amendment muscle car, um, which really shot the song, you know, gave the, the song a big shot in the arm because he played it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know how we're doing on time. So I'll just, you know, kind of shortcut the story, but you know, we did that in 2015 and then 2022 of February. So February of last year, we became a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. So now so, you're a publicly traded company, but like of what, what's the, I know you got the big brand that came from the song, but what exactly does the company do? Oh, we, we manufacture a full line of concealed carry products, coats, backpacks, coat, uh, jackets. We have a, uh, our primary product and our flagship products. We have a full line of gun safes. And when okay. I say, safe, I mean, ones that are size of refrigerators, I mean, we manufacture uh, you know, we have 400 stores across the country buying from us, five distribution centers, two manufacturing factories, uh, you yeah. know, 250 employees. So pretty much uh, everything to kind of that, that outdoorsman, you know, catering. yeah, yeah. And we're, and we're expanding the line and because we're public, I can't elaborate on it, you yeah. know, in advance, but we're, we're, you know, American, American rebel is America's patriotic brand and we're expanding the line, uh, into other things that are kind of in this, out this, sport outdoor high uh high uh you know exciting yeah. world that i've always so, lived in. and now i mean so you're getting kind of fully entrenched in the business world how involved are you in that like how has that been for you going from you're crawling around literally in the mud hunting things yeah then you're on yeah. stage you know blasting away on your guitar now you're entering like a board meeting like what how how was that transition like was it easy was it natural it's been easy and it's been natural for a couple of reasons. The, the biggest reason is I'm still just doing what I did. You know, yeah. I don't, I go to New York. I was just there uh, last week. I spoke three days at an investor conference, multi-million dollar investors in the room, people running 500 million, billion dollar funds, uh, people from around the world. And uh, I did put a sport coat on, but I, underneath it, I still had my max, I had my maximum archery sleeveless t-shirt. I'm sorry, I my American Rebel sleeveless t-shirt, wearing jeans, and uh, still just talking the same language and talking about the same things I talk about. And you know, we run American Rebel. Just you know, they call us the safe with an attitude. You know, go back to own more bone with Ross Archery. Go back to Maximum Archery World Tour. The way we did the shirts. Now we're the safe with an attitude. America's patriotic brand. It's yeah. all the same thing. It's marketing. It's putting energy into it. And uh, the second thing that makes it happen is you remember me talking about Doug Brow, who was my mm -hmm. producer. He became president uh, and co-founded the company with me. So he's running all the back end stuff. You know, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not yeah. dealing with the books and the audits and, 
and the filings and, you know, he's handling all the, the business behind the, the business. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a, you know, we've, we've put on a board of directors, one of my, who's become one of my best friends, Corey Lambert, you know, he was the, used to be the executive vice president of Smith and Wesson. He put together the group that bought Smith and Wesson back and made it a U.S. company again. Um, you know, so when I do these investor conferences, you know, he's with me. So I got a team of people that make it possible for me to just keep being me as we run this company and move it forward, yeah. coming up with product ideas, marketing ideas, and promoting the business. So whose idea was that? Like you have the hit song, it goes viral, you know, you're on counting cars, all of a sudden this all happens. Did you say, hey, let's just turn this to this all-encompassing brand for the outdoorsman? Or did somebody come to you like, hey, dude, I want to leverage you and your brand yeah. and, and kind of blow this thing up? So originally, the, the very first mention of it was Doug Grau, okay. uh, my producer. He said, um, man, he said, you know, when we were selling CDs, you know, revenue was this. When it went to downloads, you know, from iTunes, revenue dropped, even though more people were hearing the music. Because for every, you know, person that buys the song off iTunes, you know, there's 10 that don't pay for it you know, that get it from file sharing and what have you. Yeah, yeah. Then when streaming came out and people weren't even really paying for downloads anymore. I mean, I don't know anybody that goes to iTunes and pays $1.29 for a single. I mean, yeah. they just found <laughs> a, a streaming service, right? You can hear anything you want for $10 a month or what have you. Yeah. So revenues really were starting to go down, even though 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 times more people were hearing the music. We were making less money from the music because yeah. most people were getting it for free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't paid to listen to a song in probably a decade. So I don't know where all the money yeah. comes from with the Spotify's and everything else, but it's, it's a fraction of what it was. I bet. So Doug said, Hey, why don't we monetize the music? Let's ride this American rebel thing. Let's monetize the music with a brand. He said that kind of in passing. Um, then I was out, the gentleman I told you who became our first board of director, Corey Lambert, the guy that helped buy Smith and Wesson, bring it back to the United States. And I was, I was meeting him in Arizona and uh, not really trying, not even thinking about talking about American Rebel, but he was asking me about counting cars in the song. And I said, hey, I've got a rough cut of the video. It's not finished, but I'll show you the video. And uh, he wanted to see it. And we were having a couple beers in a, in a kind of a sports bar environment. And I played it for him and he's like, Andy, that's your brand. Yeah. I said, what? And he said, American rebel. He says, that's you, that's your brand. He said, there's a business here. And I said, you know, funny you said that because Doug just said to me about two weeks ago, we ought to monetize the music with a brand. And we weren't even thinking to call the company necessarily American rebel. We just thought about making a brand around the music. And, you know, that's when Corey and I had another couple of beers and kind of got a napkin out and did that whole yeah, well, let's just call it American Rebel. And then I came up with America's patriotic brand. And, and uh, he even, we tell this in the investor conference meetings and, and in presentations, but Corey actually wrote me a check. Yeah. And there, there wasn't a, there was no American Rebel. So he made it out to Andy Ross on tour. And then he called uh, a guy that we both knew who was in finance and had put a lot of companies together um, mutual friend and he said hey we got this idea and i just put this seed money in and you're going to match it and you need to put a check in the and uh <laughs> and you're off and running had, 
Yeah, we had, you know, we had some, some available capital ourselves, but we took on these investors. We really weren't investors. They, they wrote checks and said, here, let's do this. Yeah. Um, and then we, then we decided as we grew, we needed more and more capital and we ended up being, you know, public. And then we ended up, you know, elevating to NASDAQ in February of 2022. That's awesome. So yeah. oh, it's same, been a hell of a ride. Same story, right? It is. It, it, it is. It chapter, is. A, but same story. Yep. Yeah. A common theme kind of runs throughout it. So yeah. a couple things. I mean, one that just keeps coming back into mind as you tell this story, you know, John Daly, the golfer, right? Sure. Yeah, I'm like, I just keep seeing you guys on like parallel paths. Like yeah. you're you're out there hunting. He's just smashing golf balls into a lake and he he's come out with songs and, you know, yeah. big country star loves America. I'm like, you guys got to do something crisscross somehow. <laughs> His, well, we've met, we've had beers together. His favorite hangout in Nashville's Losers mm-hmm. and uh, which is owned by George Strait's manager, uh, Herb and, and, and his uh, very smart partner, uh, in the uh, bar business, Steve Ford. Um, And I live in a high rise downtown in Nashville. And if you went out on my deck right now and I don't golf, but you do, you could hit a golf ball and land it on the roof of losers. I mean, losers right there next to winners, (laughs) of course. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's his, that's his hang when he's in town. I mean, yeah. You know, and so, you well, know, you should have I, him do that. He could hit a golf ball from your deck onto losers. He could. He could. <laughs> That'd go I, viral. I could have shot an arrow on it for sure. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet. It, so what's what's next for you, Andy? I mean, you're doing all these different things. A lot of them just kind of seem to kind of, you know, just you have this energy and this passion for, you know, America, for the outdoors, for music, and it just keeps kind of creating. Like, do you have any idea what you want to do next? Well, we want to continue to build America's patriotic brand first and foremost. When the day comes that I'm done playing music, I would still like to be running this company, and I'd like for this company to truly become America's patriotic brand, be a lot, be around a lot longer than I am, mm-hmm. and uh, and and grow and and uh, and do some good, promote American business, promote products that are made in America. Um, you know, we're we're obviously uh, pro Constitution. We're obviously you know pro Second Amendment. Yeah. Uh, freedom fighters. And, uh, so we want to get our message out as the company grows. Um, I'm not done doing music yet. Uh, still want to play some music. Uh, would like to get involved, um, in uh, writing a book. If I can get American rebel to the point, um, where we're headed and keep going, I'd like to write a book called American rebel, the making of America's patriotic brand. I'd like to go on a book tour, uh, sign books, play four or five songs on my acoustic guitar and sign books and have people donate for the books at, I don't care if I'm in churches, bars, you know, clubs, wherever. Yep. And, uh, and have American rebel, uh, pay for those books because it'll be good advertisement for the company. Uh, you know, good publicity that we're out doing this and raise a lot of money, uh, you know, I got a gold target of $50 million for children's charities. So I got to get the company where it's big enough that people will want to read the book so yeah. I can write the book and tell the story that I've kind of told loosely on your show today and yeah. actually put it in a form that where somebody would want to read it and tie it into the faith a little bit, tie it into chasing the American dream, tie yeah. it into having a good time and, uh, and, uh, 
you know, leave that book kind of as, as the legacy, uh, I guess, of what I've, what I've done and when I'm not here to tell the story. Yeah. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I can't imagine doing anything else and yep. other than keep going, I'll, I'll be 57 years old in August and, uh, for you. thankfully still feel like I'm, you know, 25 and, yeah, and <laughs> nothing has slowed me down. I'm blessed with good health. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the guy at 57 years old that wakes up and goes, Oh, my shoulder. It's just, you know, it, I don't have any of that. Yeah. So I better keep, I better keep running while I still can. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I would be very surprised if all that doesn't come to fruition, you know, with your track record. So if I, if I could, something that my guests or uh, my viewers, I should say, really appreciate is this lightning round that we wrap up with, where I'll just yep. fire a couple questions at you. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind, and uh, then our listeners can get to know a little bit more about you. First up, if you had a quote to live by, what would it be? Uh, it'd be a quote I made myself, and it says, it doesn't matter how late you stay out on, on Saturday night giving life a finger, it's still a good idea to get up and go to church on Sunday. That's awesome. I love it. Put that on a t-shirt. So growing up in Kansas, did you have a childhood hero? Growing childhood hero. Uh, well, when I was five, it was Speed Racer. Um, okay. You know, he was the cartoon character and yeah. underdog, of course. Um, as I got older, um, you know, I, I, I always loved music obviously and so you know anybody that was rocking and rolling uh you know i looked up to eddie van halen was obviously a hero of mine yeah uh, loved nascar growing up um so and, and loved jeff gordon and you know loved the rivalry between jeff gordon and dale earnhardt yeah uh, my father was probably my you know my biggest a number one all-time lifetime hero for sure awesome very cool and so uh, you're talking about possibly writing a book. Do you have a favorite book? No, no, I don't actually. Uh, I, I I try to discipline myself to read more. Um, I'm not a not a reader. You know, I've only read probably a handful of books in my life, and I try to. You know, anyone, anytime you try to go through any type of self improvement thing, whether doesn't matter if it's a course or a sermon or whatever. Everybody says, you know, you ought to read 30 minutes a day, and I'm terrible at it. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know anything about writing a book. I will need a ghostwriter. I'll just be able to tell the stories and lay on the couch. And uh, um, but uh, I do, I do have one book that my father uh, made sure by the age of 12 that I read, and it was a hard read at 12, but I've read it a handful of times. Uh, it's called "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon Hill, and it's probably a number one uh get a get a person going and and you know book out there yep i, I can't yeah, tell you how many people I, when i mentioned it everybody knows the book oh without a doubt that's one of the best and so kind of in that same vein you know i i typically start the day off you know reading for a little bit that's a, one of my little <laughs> habits do you have a morning routine and if so what how does it start oh it's lame <laughs> oh it's so lame i'm like you're you're a girl i mean it's so lame um, yeah, I, I, I specifically get up probably two hours earlier than most people would to start their day. You know, I, I'm not the guy that has a, a, an eight o'clock breakfast meeting and, you know, gets up at seven, jumps in the shower and walks out the door. If I got an eight o'clock, you know, I'm probably up at five, okay. but I, I, I spend, I spend minimal an hour 
uh, I get up, come out here, make coffee and take my laptop, turn on, you know, either sports center or something. And I, I just, you know, lean back against a couple of pillows on my headboard. And I hang out in bed for at least an hour, if not okay. an hour and a half in the morning, but I get up extra early to be able to do that. But if I don't, if I don't return my emails and then look at my calendar and, and make sure my calendar, you know, I can't jump up out of bed and just face the, the day because it's chaotic. Yeah. If you don't get up extra early and, and yeah. be ready for it, you know, so you kind of ease into the day. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 so yeah, I, I, I lay around for an hour drinking coffee and mapping out my remapping out my day and returning emails and, Got and uh, I get on social media like everybody else. Okay. And then yeah, last two cool. questions here. I know the book, you know, you didn't have an immediate favorite, but uh, as a, far as movies are concerned, do you have a favorite movie? Oh, I got a couple. Um, I, I love that movie, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures? Figures, numbers. Okay. Uh, not, um, let's see. Uh, favorite. You know, comedy, you know, the My Cousin Vinny's and some of those shows come to mind. Yeah. Uh, don't, haven't watched a lot of movies as of late. So, uh, okay. Uh, I'd probably leave it there. All right. So, My Cousin Vinny and Hidden Figures. And then, last question of the day, you know, I love to travel. I've gotten a lot out of it. I know my listeners always, you know, like talking travel too. Uh, you've done quite a bit, particularly with the hunting and the touring. Do you have a favorite vacation or a favorite destination? Um, well, favorite hunting destination would have been, you know, hunting, hunting moose in the Yukon. They would, we would go into Whitehorse and they would fly us out on a float plane a couple hours, land us on the McMillan river and leave us at a trapper's cabin. And that's just about as beautiful of being in God's country and surrounded by just this, you know, if you're an outdoors person, that's just about as good as it gets in my opinion. Um, you know, we traveled the world, but we never spent a lot of time. Uh, in any any one place so uh, uh right now if i just said what's your favorite destination place today my favorite destination place is right where i'm sitting in my place in nashville tennessee and getting to be home and uh not having to pack or unpack for a for a five seven day stretch is where i want to be i gotcha that's that's good enough all right yeah. well thanks so much andy this was uh this was awesome i mean you've had quite a journey and um, i hope everybody can kind of pick away some nuggets here, some inspiration and uh, learn a lot from me along the way. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me and do it anytime. Hope you have me back. Without a doubt. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm Brian Kaderna. Today, we had a chance to speak with Andy Ross. I will leave uh, his contact info, his website and such in the show notes. Definitely check it out. I'm sure he's got some cool stuff cooking for us in the future. We'll see you next Thank time. You. All right, buddy. Thank you. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not 
guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.